You're listening to Market Boldly, an award-winning podcast for executives, brand managers, branch managers, marketing directors, and sales managers in distribution who want to build their brand, stimulate sales, and drive profits. And now, here's your host, marketing consultant, trainer, speaker, and columnist, Katrina Olson. My guest today is Steve Miller, marketing consultant and founder of Adventure LLC and author of the book Uncopyable, published in 2017. His title, according to his business card, is Kelly's Dad and Marketing Gunslinger. Steve has consulted with clients ranging from entrepreneurs to Fortune 100 companies, including Procter & Gamble, Caterpillar, Starbucks, and Coca-Cola. He has consulted for a number of large North American exhibitions, including the International Manufacturing Technology Show, the International Home and Houseware Show, Show and the Work Truck Show, and has been featured in Fast Company, Business Week, Fortune, and the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post. Uncopyable is Steve Miller's seventh book and an Amazon number one bestseller. Welcome to Market Boldly, Steve, and that's a very impressive resume. Yes, I am a legend in my own mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I should, oh, I should I, say, I should also say that, uh, uh, you know, the sad thing to say is that I have not yet been published in Highlights for Children. That is going oh, to darn be... It. In my life, that's on my bucket list. <laughs> you need to do a puzzle. I will know I have a, made it. Well, you're on the right track with the cover of your book, Uncopyable, which is kind of in like a crossword puzzle format. So you're getting yeah, there. That's right. <laughs> Make an uncopyable crossword. <laughs> there you go. Oh, also, special thanks to your um, smoking hot wife, Kay. Smoking hot wife. Um, which, I, yeah, I saw her picture on her Guatemala trip, which um, we'll have to talk about that another time. But, yeah, so, yes, she's she's very attractive and she's very sweet as well. And a very good um, agent for you, I have to say. So she kept me on my toes, that's for sure. Well, I'm going to uh, uh, just before we go on, you know, to talk about Kay, because this this also implies, uh, te- you know, the type of team that you want to have. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that something that you, I'm sure she did not tell you is that at one point in her career, she was the world's number one muffler salesperson. Oh, seriously? Yeah, she sold uh, automotive mufflers. I used to used to call her Muffler Mama. Oh, and I love it. she was killer. So, yes, I'm very fortunate to, to be able to have somebody like her in here <laughs> being kind of my agent, like you say. Very nice. So, Steve, I actually read your book, um, Uncopyable, from cover to cover while I was traveling this last month um, to some meetings and stuff. Yeah. And a lot of what you said really resonated with me, and I'm sure will resonate with um, Market Boldly listeners and all of your readers, I'm sure. Um, the The subtitle of your book and the theme is How to Create an Unfair Advantage Over Your Competition. Oh, and I have to tell you, I had your book at the dinner table. My daughter's like, well, that's not really fair. I'm like, honey, business isn't fair. Get used to it. That's right. That's exactly right. Right. So life's, life's yeah. not fair. I know you're 14, no. but life's not fair. And, 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 you know, you bring up an interesting point because uh, obviously I've heard that type of pushback. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, some people will just go, well, that's negative or or an unfair advantage. That's not right. I go, I go, you know, sorry, you deal with it. You know, this is, this is, business is almost street fighting. Yeah. Uh, it's not like that we have rules. Guerrilla warfare. Yeah, it's guerrilla warfare. <laughs> it's guerrilla warfare for sure. So uh, if you're if if you're bothered by that and you want to play by the rules, I love it. <laughs> yeah, right. It just, Thank it just you. makes it easier for me. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so funny. Well, early on in the book, you write about three traps that companies fall into when trying to find their advantage. Can you talk about those three traps and... Uh, um, how companies can get stuck and and not have an advantage in their in their market. Well, it's it's 
it's basically historical is what it is. And it's, it's a habit in almost every single industry that I've ever been involved. I've been involved in 127 industries, I think is what it's up to now. And, and I see it in wow. every single one of them is, is that these th- they, there are three traps that have kind of reared their ugly heads over the years. The first trap is commoditization. Um, this is something that everybody's fighting right now. And especially when, mm-hmm. when we're talking about distributors. Uh, who uh, um, I'm pretty sure we have a few of them listening to this, right? Yeah. And uh, distributors, when you think about it, the products that they are selling are essentially commodities. Uh, That's just the way it is. Everybody knows that. And so so it's very, very difficult to create a product, even a service that uh, really separates you from the crowd. And yeah. technology has has really been the bad guy in this. I mean, we could say that technology has been really, really, really great for all of us, but your strength is also always your weakness. So yeah. uh, technology has, has set up a situation where products are commodities, and to a very large extent, the historical service that has been behind the, those products, and in particular in the distribution world, uh, tend to be commodities as well. Uh, even to the point where when you talk about like like the distributors that I've worked with uh, over the years, these days, for the most part, when I go in and I say, what makes you different? They go, oh, you know, speed of delivery. Speed hmm. of delivery is, a, is our differentiation. I said, that's copyable. Yeah. Somebody can always do it faster. Yeah. It's, it's like saying somebody or can always do it cheaper. Somebody will always do it faster. Somebody will always do it cheaper. Those are no longer... Uh, you know, you, you can't use those. Yeah. Uh, the second one is uh, competitive price strategy uh, mm-hmm. or competitive strategies. What, what I would say is that uh, in most industries, again, I shouldn't say most, in all <laughs> industries, there's what I call yeah. a strategic orthodoxy. And what that means is, uh, and the, the example I would say is, uh, ask yourself, if you're listening to this, ask yourself, who had the very first curved shower rod in a hotel room? Now, most people don't know the answer to that question. Uh, you, you know? <laughs> no, I have no idea. Okay, the answer is Weston, Weston Hotels. Uh, oh. The Weston Hotel put... That the, was probably in your book, and I probably read it, but I did not remember. Yeah, that's, all, that's, that's okay. But, it's, it, but the point is, is that Weston, when they, when they first came out with the Heavenly Bed, uh, the Heavenly Bed was unique for a few months. You know, and then came out this, this, then another chain came out with the Sleep Number Bed. And somebody else came out with the... <laughs> you know the the bed that played music whatever. i don't know whatever it was right and yeah, right. so then so then weston comes back and they go oh yeah well we'll put a curved shower rod <laughs> you know, and, and <laughs> yeah you know now you know everybody has a curved shower rod in their in their motel room right. so yeah. so the point is, is is that in industries the the new ideas that come up tend to be extremely easy to copy and the way yeah. and what we do as an industry is we tend to just look at each other we just go, what are they sure. doing? We'll do that better. And that's kind of this vicious circle that happens within within the industries. Everybody's looking at each other uh, for what are they doing? We'll do that better. And yeah. improvement is not innovation. And that's yeah. what it's all about. Is that you've got to come up with something that, that's, that's innovative. Otherwise, you run into the third trap, which is price pressure. And we are Ooh. all under price pressure because... Yeah, uh, and, and the bottom line is, if the customer cannot tell the difference between your products or service from the competition, then the only differentiation for them is price. 
And so that's yeah, why they who, say yeah. you got to you got to push your prices down, right? You got to push your prices down. Uh, that's a losing game. Isn't that a losing game always? Totally a losing game. And anybody who's and, and I call it the box, the the, orth, the it's it's the box everybody plays in. And, you yeah. know, that there are rules in that box that we all follow. And like like we you and I laughed earlier, you know, we, I'm not going to play by somebody else's rules, but but we tend to do that unintentionally. Uh, and uh, we, we, we start following rules and we start looking at each other. And so then we fall into that trap of, well, we have to, we, we're competing on price. Yeah. And I, I know electrical distributors who I work um, primarily with can relate to this because they literally are, as you said, they're literally selling the same products. I especially feel bad for the copper wire guys because how different can copper wire be from one to the other? I mean, I'm sure there are some slight quality differences, but in the consumer's mind, copper wires, copper wires, copper right, wire. Right. So they're selling, you know, the same or similar manufactured products at the same prices. And I want to backtrack for a minute to um, add that you have consulted with IEC, which is the Trade Association for the Independent Electrical Contractors, and with Hardy, which is the International Association for Heating, Air Conditioning, and Refrigeration Distributors, um, which works with wholesale distributors in the HVACR industry. So you understand how the supply chain works and the those complex relationships between suppliers, distributors, and contractors. So can maybe you can talk for a minute about what it means to be uncopyable. Well, the idea of uncopyable is that you are able to do something in the marketplace that has a, a very high value to your target market that the competition either cannot copy or they they simply won't copy. So mm -hmm. like I talked about earlier that everybody's looking at each other and they go, what are they doing? We can do that better. Yeah. Well, it's, You're automatically not uncopyable because you're looking at what your competition is doing. <laughs> yeah. So you want to be able to develop something uh, that it, again, like I say, there is there is part of your value proposition that you are you are giving to your marketplace that is impossible to copy or uh, or like I say, it's it's something that the, the competition simply says, nah, we're not going to do that. Yeah. You know, or we you know, we or we can't we can't do it or we're not going to do it. And that's 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 essentially the, the 40,000 foot perspective of being uncopyable. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, so if it's not product price or service, um, you know, I think they're all searching for what is that one thing. And I, I'm sure the answer is different for every distributor because if it was the same, then it wouldn't be uncopyable. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I know a lot of uh, distributors I talk to um, say, well, we want to be a partner. That's the big thing right now is we want to be a partner with our company, you know, with our customers. Well, everybody can't be a partner because you'd have know 50 different partners so that doesn't necessarily work so i don't know what it is um i was interested um in the example you used of hamilton you know the play which my daughters and i saw in chicago which was mm -hmm. really good unfortunately we did not get to see lynn uh, <laughs> manuel but but that's okay um one of you know they, they did a lot of unique things with this show and maybe you can talk about that and i know that people you know distributors like well what does a show have to do with me but but maybe you could talk a little bit about what they did and maybe that would get some people thinking well i think that uh, hamilton i use hamilton as the example because there have been many many broadway plays and musicals over the years that have come out and for a few years they were the hottest ticket in, ticket in town right you know i use the example of uh cats mm -hmm. uh, many years ago or more recently the book of mormon or something like that where right where it was out and you just simply could not get a ticket for a long right. long time well 
and and that's kind of how it was. It was it was just a matter of scarcity that right. that made that and and word of mouth was it was so hot and so everybody's saying I want to go see it. Uh, but there there comes a fatigue factor after a while where where mm. it just you know either something new come another new play comes out and take kind of takes over the steam. It's like a movie, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. like Black Panther was out. Then when the Avengers came out, Black Panther sort of <laughs> faded away. Uh, and, and I mean that's just kind of how it is, right? And that's the way human nature works. What I'm right. talking about, what, but what uh, what Hamilton did. Uh, which was very interesting, was that they they went outside the typical perspective of delivering a, a hot play or a hot musical. And mm-hmm. they took a look at it from the perspective, of, well, number one, most of the time tickets were too expensive. Yeah. And so they said from the very beginning, well, okay, we are going to allocate a certain number of tickets in every performance that are only $10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... And what they did was they they made it into like a lottery where people mm-hmm. could go to the box office, they could sign up, and then find and then they would have a lottery and those lucky winners would get a ticket that night uh, for ten dollars. Mm-hmm. So so they were in they were reaching out to people who uh, either couldn't get tickets because it was sold out so far in advance, or yeah. they or they couldn't afford those tickets. Yeah. And they were saying, "Yeah, we're here to help you with that." And so, they, and they called that ham, ham for ham. I don't know where they got that. I name. love it. You know, but <laughs> uh, uh, and you know, but then in addition to that, what they did for the people who couldn't get in to see was that every day before performances, the cat, the cast, or part of the cast would c- literally come out front of the theater and they would put on some kind of a performance. Now, oh, it was fun. it was not always a performance that was a song from Hamilton or something like that. Sometimes it had to do with the holiday that was, you know, around, or yeah. they would just, you know, do something impromptu to entertain people. Uh, but then they did something very clever. Also, they started inviting casts from other shows to come and join them. Oh, uh, how and fun. I didn't, I didn't write about this in the book, but this was a very, this was also a very smart thing to do, whether it was on purpose or not. And so they would have these other casts come over, and then there would they, there'd be this impromptu uh, performance out out on the street for everybody, and people uh-huh. loved it, right? Well, yeah. When when they were doing that, and they were inviting the other cast members to come in, well, guess what? That stops the other shows from having their own little live performance out front. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah, that's, so smart. See, that's yeah. that makes it uncopyable, right? Because they yeah. can't because if they start doing that, everybody's going to go, well, Hamilton's already doing it, you know, and and all yeah. all the act all the other actors are already and over they're there. They're all going over there. They're already yeah. going over there, all right? So yeah. so they had that. They also got involved with a an educational foundation yes. on uh creating uh, uh you know, education curriculum. around yeah. a curriculum and uh, around the Hamilton and around the Revolutionary War, uh things like that. So see so so what they did was they stepped outside the norm. You know, of mm-hmm. the normal ways that musicals competed for the tickets for and for the attention of, of the and the yeah. mind share of, the, of their target market. So if they were able so that instead of people becoming discouraged about not not being able to see Hamilton, people were connected to Hamilton anyway, even if they hadn't seen it, right? And yeah. they could they could uh, they could go there and they could still kind of get connected by yeah. being engaged with them by the the ham for ham and by the performances and the, the educational curriculum and things like that. So that to, to me that was like wow that's that's really 
changing the rules of competition in a way that is really, really hard for somebody else to copy. And, you know, speaking of which, my I have um, a daughter going into college and a daughter going into high school, and they both can sing the soundtrack beginning to end. And their friends who have never seen the show can also sing it beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, my my daughter swears that Hamilton helped her pass the Constitution test. Um, I and I follow them. I follow um, actually the, the... Yeah, Lin-Manuel? No, no, no. I do, I do follow him, but also the, the gentleman we saw who was the lead in Chicago. Oh, I'm sorry. I've, yeah, I think his last name is Morales. Joe Morales. Anyway, I follow him on social media, and there's and but there's also an interesting. You talked about bringing in other shows. My daughter and I saw Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway um, last summer, or whenever soon after it came out. There's an interesting um, relationship between the cast of Dear Evan Hansen and the cast of Hamilton. So you're right; they've really reached out, and they're they're big on so um, Hamilton cast all the casts because now they're touring casts. They're all big on social media, so they're reaching people, like you said, in a lot of different ways through a lot of different media. Um, so so how do you take that mindset and translate it to a business? Yeah, sure. The, the idea is to create this this very very strong attachment with your market. Marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, it that goes beyond. You know, people say they want to develop a partnership. Uh, you know what? That's kind of tired. You know what? That yeah. that's been around for a long time. Um, I'm not seeing that working really, really well. <laughs> in, yeah. in you know, for for too many people, uh, because because that's the supplier saying that they want to do that. It's not the buyer saying that. Uh, what we yeah. what we yeah. want is we want the buyer to to say yes. You are you are my supplier. Yeah. And uh, nobody else is gonna gonna take this away from you. So I call it you you want to create an attachment with them that goes beyond just loyalty. It's where it's it's like they cannot leave you because if they leave you, they actually lose. Yeah. So and so I I, de- I describe in my book uh, there that there are three different types of strategies that you can use for uh, creating this attachment. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one is what I call the the uncopyable branding, uh, and branding is one of those fuzzy words that <laughs> you hear a lot. And and the, and the fact is that almost almost everybody has a very different picture of what branding means. You know, to me, branding is not the logo. The logo right. can be part of it, but it's not right. the logo. Uh, yeah. the, the branding so is, much more. Yeah, branding is the promise. Is what mm-hmm. is, it, it's you are making a promise to the marketplace that this is who we are. This is what we're going to do for you. This is here are the problems we're going to solve for you, and mm-hmm. here's how we're going to do it. And here's why we're here's why we are different. And yep. so I, I use the I, I use a number of examples in in the book. Um, you know, I like to use the example of like Harley Davidson, for example. Uh, that. Yeah. Uh, you know these these guys, and you know it's funny because for years you know people have used Harley Davidson for many many different types of examples. Uh, but the point is is that Harley Davidson has created this attachment. I I say in my book Harley Davidson does not sell motorcycles. They don't. They uh, sell an image. They, don't they well they they actually it's it's kind of a self image right or it's yeah. a community that they are selling. They are. Uh, you know my the my favorite story about Harley Davidson. I was in Milwaukee one time. I was consulting, mm-hmm. not for them, but I was consulting for another company, mm-hmm. and and they were having one of their uh, big annual or, or or every every five years they have a big party in in Milwaukee. Yeah. Everybody everybody drives their Harleys into into town, and so there were like a hundred thousand Harleys 
Holy cow. And, you know, I'm just looking at these. It's all black leather, ponytails. <laughs> and they're really and, accountants. No, <laughs> well, the fact is, is that I'm watching TV <laughs> and it's the news and they're talking about the Harleys in town. And the interviewer who was talking, she was interviewing one of the executives from Harley Davidson. And she, she made a very naive, asked a very naive question. She said, uh, how are you going to protect our city? And the, and the guy laughed. And he said, what you don't understand is that what we sell is the ability for a 43-year-old accountant to dress in black leather, ride through small towns, and have people be afraid of him. Right. And I just started laughing because I started thinking, wait a minute, true, my though. friends who have Harleys, that's exactly who they are. It is. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, it's it's kind of that self-image, that, that badass image. You know, I'm a you know, I'm bad, you know, and yeah, and, my, and, yeah. one of my a, old bosses who managed a car dealership had one. And he was like, you know, we're suit and tie every day. But every once in a while <laughs> he got on his Harley. I know. I know. One of my one of my best friends who is very, very mild person yeah <laughs> you know rode up to the house one time when my mm -hmm. mom was still living with us and and just and he's in black leather black helmet you know mm -hmm. roars, roars oh, up yeah. in that harley and she's like oh my gosh there's somebody out front and, and oh it's george <laughs> yeah so <laughs> oh it's okay i know so and, and and so that is kind of, that's the branding thing is it is it because yeah. then they then they have things behind it see the uh, what i the way i describe it is the motorcycle is the souvenir that's what it is. Uh, the product is go. now the souvenir. They're not. They're not selling the product. They're selling yeah. what you what you become or what you get after you after you buy the product. And and so yeah, that, like you say, the, the branding is part of that. the 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 second the second strategy uh, is uh, what I call uh, uh, the uncopyable experience. And the uncopyable ex uncopyable experience is when you take this goes beyond service. Uh, Customer service is is kind of you it, that itself is a vague generality, because because mm -hmm. what does customer service mean? I mean we don't know. I mean it's yeah. typically it's okay. It's behind. It's it's after the sale, or it's oh somebody calls you answer the phone you return the phone calls things like that. Uh, but experience is different. See, experience is when you are adding something that they are not expecting, uh, that that they go oh that's cool. I love mm -hmm. that. I want more of that. Yeah. So like, for example, um, you know, I'll ask my audiences when I'm speaking or, or even clients when I'm consulting for them, I'll just say, okay, what is the most popular roller coaster in the world? Hmm. And, you know, sometimes people come, oh, they, there's one in Japan. There's one at Coney Island, or I don't know if Coney Island, but uh, uh, there's, you know, there's one at Six Flags. And it's gotta be a Disney. It's gotta be a Disney coaster. It's, yeah. it's, Space Mountain. Yeah. But you see, here's the thing, you know, and, and yes, people do, you know, some people do finally figure it out. But here's the thing. Space Mountain's not called a roller coaster. Disney never mentions the word roller coaster anywhere hmm. regarding that that ride. And in fact, it, but it's the number one ridden roller coaster in the world. But it's not a roller hmm. coaster. It's a ride into outer space. And yeah. what they've done is they've taken a very average roller coaster and then they've wrapped an experience around it. Yeah. So the roller coaster delivers what the product is supposed to do. But then what they've done is they is that you, when you arrive, you have you know you you are getting in line to go into outer space. Yeah. And then they don't call you know you're not getting on the roller coaster and going up the hill. It's it's you're launching. You know it's liftoff. 
Yeah, and yeah. So the and, and it's dark and stars, you know, comets are streaking across the sky and 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 all that stuff. So they have taken something that is pretty common in the amusement park world, but they've turned it into an experience. Well, and then you know, just before we get to, I know you have one more, but before we get to that, then you layer on top of that that physical experience of the rides, you know, the fact that they go out of their way to make you happy and, you know, you don't really have, it's, it's hard to have a bad customer experience at Disney, but I'll tell you a quick story. So we'd gone to a couple of years ago, we went to Disney, spent like a week or whatever there. And, you know, everything's just happy and wonderful and they take care of you so well. And then we came back and I, I had to return something at Walmart, like the next day after we got back. And I said, Hey, I had this problem. And, and, you know, there's, and, and I can't remember, but they kind of gave me a hard time about it. And I was like, what? What? You know, and I forgot that I was back in the real world yeah. and not Disney World. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so offended. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's right. I'm at Walmart, not Disney. <laughs> See, and that's also, that's a really, really good point. And, and it actually is a great little segue into the third, uh, the third uncopyable strategy. Uh, but people now, like you say, you're comparing the Walmart customer service to the Disney yeah. customer service. Other end of the spectrum. Uh, oh, completely out of the box. Right. Yeah. It's a totally different industry, different box. It's a different box. And yet we in our businesses, we, we go, oh, our customer service is way better than our competition. Well, they're not comparing you to your competition. They're comparing you to Disney. They're comparing mm. you to Nordstrom. They're, they're, yeah. they're comparing you to Zappos. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's who they're comparing you to. And if you are not if you're if, if you're not delivering at that level and from that perspective, well, then you're just same as everybody else in your world. So, yeah. you know, which, like I say, it leads us to the third strategy, which is the un, is uncopyable innovation. And like I said earlier, improvement is not innovation. Improvement is, oh, th- this is better. Innovation is, this is game changer. This is new. Yeah. Uh, and nobody else is doing this. So like, for example... If I were to say, to, if people were to say, we want our customer service, our customer experience to be so much better than any, anybody else's. If I'm with an electrical distributor, I'm going to say, okay, what we are going to do is we're going to do something I call stealing genius. Mm-hmm. Because we are so used to looking at the same thing all the time. We go to the same trade shows. We read the same trade magazines. We go to the same conferences. We hang out with the same people as everybody else in our box. So we're Mm going to get outside of that box. We're going to go to another box that's in a different world. So if I'm with an electrical distributor, I might say something like, let's go to Disney World. And we're going to go there and we're going to ask ourselves a question like, how do they handle customer service? Mm -hmm. How do they define customer service? Now, their big promise, their their branding proposition is this is the happiest place on earth. And so everything behind that has to walk the talk. Otherwise, people go, nope, you are not the happiest place on earth. <laughs> and so all of it's amazing when you walk in and you think about it from the perspective of, or you watch and observe what's happening from the perspective of what are they doing to make the customer experience so amazing? What are they mm-hmm. doing to help me and my family or my friends be as happy as possible? So yeah. you, you walk around and you look at things like, one of my favorite examples is that uh, anything can affect your your experience, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, any little thing. So like uh, at Disney World and Disneyland, and I assume all the other parks around around the world, you know what? They're outdoor. So sometimes it rains. 
-hmm. and the trash cans that are in the Disney properties, they, they are flat top trash cans. The reason for that is that people want to have a place to put their purse or their bag or something like that when they're, you know, stopping for a second to check their cell phone or something like that. So, they, hmm. so they'll often put them on top of the trash cans. Interesting. But when it rains, those tops get wet, but you don't know it. If you walk up there and you've got a bag and you might not see that the top is wet after the rain. And then you put your bag on top and, oh, man, it's, it's all wet. Your purse gets wet. And what, what does that do? It makes for a negative experience. You're uh -huh. not happy, right? So if you look at the people who are handling the custodial activities, each one of them has hanging on their belt a small uh, wiper, right? You know, uh -huh, like, like a chamois or something. No, uh, a blade. You know, what's the what's the blade? Oh, like a squeegee. You know, like squeegee. A squeegee. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, squeegee. Uh -huh. uh, and just a little small, like six inch squeegee. And after it rains, they, they go around and they hit all the trash cans and they squeegee off the tops of the trash cans. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, most people don't notice that. But if you're paying yeah. attention and you're looking to see, OK, what do they do to impact our experience? That's crazy. There are things like that that you go, wow, I would never have thought of that. But I would say something to my client like, oh, yeah, OK, so what is something that it happens in our world and we could steal this idea yeah. that is unexpected? They might not never they might never even know. Right. Yeah. But they would know if we didn't do it. Yeah. Interesting. Like the tiny, tiny little pain points that make a difference, make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can do, you, you know, you can go like like. I've worked with grocery stores, for example, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you know, will go to Disney to see how they handle traffic, yeah. uh, uh, you know, how, how they, you know, send people around or, or I'll take them to Las Vegas and we'll mm -hmm. walk through a casino. There are no straight lines, straight aisles. In a casino. Oh, yeah. No, you have to wander around. <laughs> to, yeah. you know, they force you to, to wander around. So the, the point is, is that don't look at your competition for ideas. Go out and study aliens Go steal the genius that they're using right now uh, and uh, and get your ideas from there. I mean, I've had clients like Delphi Automotive, uh, you know, who went and spent, and it was hilarious because I had Delphi Automotive executives in Chicago. We spent like literally three hours in the American Girl store. I loved that example, by yeah, the way. Yeah. And, and I, they, I would not even spend three hours in the American Girl store and I have girls. Oh. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I have one girl, and so yes, God bless you. I, I, le I learned that the hard way, but uh, but you know, oh. but the, but the fact is, is that is that it's it's just a doll store. But what do they have? Yeah. I mean, what do they do to? It's it's not it's it's like the roller coaster, you know. It's yeah, not they build just a doll. stories. It's, yeah. There are stories around it. There are experiences around it, and so yeah. you know, Delphi Automotive. I've had construction companies go in there and steal ideas. And then we cut. Then we go back and we sit sit down and we say, okay, what did they do? Now, how do we turn that into something in our world that nobody's doing right now and could possibly be un uncopyable? And didn't you um, write in your book, uncopyable, that that's how benchmarking started? That it wasn't like just setting a starting point or looking at what other people in your industry didn't benchmarking start by looking outside of your industry? Or did I misremember no, what, that? What, yeah, you, yeah, you're referring back to the eight track story, which is uh, oh. uh, that my dad back in the let's put it this way, back in the late '50s, early '60s, Chrysler had a car with a turntable in it. 
I know you're not old enough to remember what a turntable is. <laughs> I do remember turntables, Mr. You know, Smarty Pants. Yeah. I do. And, you know, it's got the record and it's got the needle yes. on. But imagine yeah. driving down the road with that needle on a record. And they really had those in cars? Yep, Chrysler. Chrysler I, had it. You can look I, it up. Oh, I don't on, remember you can, that. You can Google it. I believe you. And, I believe uh, you. Uh, and there's some great pictures on there about that. And, and oh, uh, my. There, there was a guy named Bill Lear who was... Uh, had been a, a an engineer at Motorola, but then he left to start a company called Lear Jet, and mm-hmm. he was a real, you know, idea guy. He had one of those Chryslers, and he said, "This is a great idea, but it's silly to have this, uh, you know, turntable. Let's figure something else out." And he went out looking for somebody who was a specialist in audio, and he mm-hmm. found my dad, Ralph, and the two of them to cut this story really short, ultimately developed the eight track tape player, you know, and then manufactured it under the uh, company named Learjet Stereo. Now, when they, (laughs) I know, very, very innovative name. Uh, (laughs) But when they were going into production, they did not have the finances to produce it in the U.S. Okay. So they ended up going over to Japan and getting it made over there. Now, back in the 60s, when, when it really first came out, in the 60s, made in Japan was not really a good product it was that it was was pretty much crap but there was this there was this consultant who was an american consultant who was over there and at that time working with with toyota uh rebuilding helping to rebuild from the war and even so many years after uh and whose name was uh edwards deming Mm -hmm. and so my dad and lear hired him to come in and help with the production of the eight track because his thing was building total quality products and Mm -hmm. creating a total quality system in the company. So as a kid, my dad would drag me out to hang out with Lear and and Deming, which... Oh, how fun. Which, uh, number one... I mean, maybe not as a kid, but looking back, I had no desire to be with these old farts. Yeah. Uh, And quite frankly, and Lear was great. He he thought it was great. Deming, not so much. He was not, (laughs) not, not so much. But the fact that I was there... I got to hear some interesting conversations. And mm-hmm. and the, the, the conversation that you're referring to uh, was that benchmarking was one of the cornerstones of the total quality philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and benchmarking, that basically the, the definition is to observe correct behavior and then emulate within your own context. Okay. Now, now Deming used to, used to complain that the reason why he was not consulting in America at that time was because... U.S. companies did not understand that there were two parts to to benchmarking. Mm -hmm. One was that you use what he called intrinsic benchmarking, which where you're looking at companies within your industry. Okay. Okay. And you are looking at them to see where, see how you stand. Okay. So more comparative within your industry. Uh, Yeah. And and yes, if somebody came up with something that was better than yours, then you still had to be able to make yours better still. So that was part of the part of the intrinsic benchmarking part. But he said, you never got new ideas mm-hmm. by benchmarking the competition. He said, you had to go outside your world and go benchmark out in you know what, what he would call extrinsic uh, mm-hmm. marketing. And that's where I originally learned that concept of you, you got to get your eyes outside. So mm-hmm. you're overcoming heuristics is what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. if you have spent any time within an industry you develop a heuristic. You develop these blinders 
Yeah. Uh, because like I said earlier, you know, you're going to the same trade shows, you're going to the same conferences, you're reading the same magazines as everybody else. And yeah. so you develop these kind of habits in your head, these heuristics of this is how to do it. So even, uh, and I'll even see things, you, you, people who are specialists uh, as uh, consultants in an industry, for example, and they have their own heuristics that are based on the, the internal side of, of that world. I, Nordstrom, for example, hired me to consult for them many years ago. And I, up until that time, I had never had any experience in the retail world. And when Jim Nordstrom said he wanted to hire me, I said, I said, what are you talking about? You don't want to work with me. I have no idea what I'm doing in the retail world. And he said, that's why we're that's hiring why. you. Because, because yeah. if we hire a retail consultant, he or she is going to teach us the same thing that they are teaching everybody else. And it's all going to be essentially from the same perspective as everybody else. He said, mm -hmm. we want to learn, we want to hear what you have to say about marketing and branding. And, and he said, and then we will look for what, what is different. And were you coming from the B2B world at that yeah. point? Yeah. And yeah. I still, you know, I still primarily work in the B2B world, although, yeah. although I do work with some retail, I just worked with a massive furniture store down in, down in Houston, but, okay. but 90% of my work is B2B. Yeah, and I think that's one of my editors at um, uh, TED Magazine, which is uh, for uh, electrical distributors, publication for electrical distributors. He, he that's one of his recurring themes is as B two B companies, we need to look at what's happening in the retail world and emulate them. And he's right. You know, um, shout out to Scott Costa. I mean, there's so much we can learn from each other, and those two are not as different as we think they are. Right. Well, th really, what it boils down to is that it's always it, there. I think B2, oh, I, I think I think business to business is a misnomer. Yes, it's not. It's never business to business. It's always people to people. Right. It's always people to people. And uh, I mean, there are there are some some aspects of it that are a little bit different. Um, it you know, and that's fine. Okay. But ultimately, the bottom line is, it's always people doing business with people. Right. Now, now, yeah, you know, I I love that I I love that idea that you you say he. He tells people to go study retailers. Well, what he's saying is, you're in the B2B world. Go study the B2C world. And when I'm when I'm working with a, a consumer company, whether it's a retailer or a consumer products company or something like that, I I tell them let's go study B2B. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So I and that's one way for me to be able to get them to understand. No, this is I'm forcing them to go study something else. Yeah. And now you throw in online marketing, which can be both and both at the same time, like, you know, Amazon or Granger or whoever. Right. And and that's, you know, like I said, sometimes a combination of both. Like I have an Amazon business account and I think I may have an Amazon personal account, too. Um, so that's and that's you have prime. Um, I do. I love prime. Hello. I love it. Hello. Oh, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, oh. no, I'm, I'm saying hello, Amazon Prime, you know. Perfect, oh, I'm sorry. Example. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you lost me there for a second. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, you're right. Yeah, that's true. See, so hmm. so many years ago, and, and I'm a Tedster, so it's funny you say Ted Magazine because, um, you know, to a lot of people, quite quite frankly, to a lot of people who hear Ted Magazine, they, they're thinking of the Ted conferences Talks and the TED, and TED, TED conferences, videos, yes. TED Talks, yeah. stuff like that. And, and I'm a Tedster. So I've, I, you know, I'm one of those guys who actually attends the real TED and, oh, yeah. and, and I've spoken <laughs> at the real TED. And oh, cool. by the way, folks, TEDx is not TED. So, uh, you know, I was there one time and, and 
these are these are unbelievably famous, rich, progressive people who attend right. this, and Steve. Uh, and, <laughs> With know, his and new I, book, Uncopyable. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll but keep I was, doing that, by the way. <laughs> I was thank you, thank you. I was sitting. I was actually sitting with Jeff Bezos one time. Oh, nice. In, in one of the meetings, uh, one one of the speeches, and I I I asked him. I said I said so what. What exactly is the end goal here for Amazon? I mean, you know, at what point do you not sell certain products or, or how do you decide or something? Yeah, where and do he, you draw the line? Yeah. Well, and he said, there is no line. Oh. He, he said, we are going to try to sell everything online. Wow. He said, and we, we understand that it's not all going to work. Now, here's the, here's the, and this was actually before they started the, uh, 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 Amazon business or yeah. the Amazon supply or anything mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and so I thought that was really, really interesting. And then I started to think about uh, companies like distributors. Yeah. And I started thinking, well, you know, how can they possibly compete with a distributor who is, you know, ha has that personal contact and, right. and all this sort of stuff? Well, let's first, let's, let's make sure we understand something. For the most part, uh, we don't really have I mean, we, we have a human-to-human -human contact, um, but we don't have that attachment. And and see, here's the thing, and I, this is the thing that I warn distributors in all industries about. Mm -hmm. Don't don't start thinking that what you deliver is uncopyable. Also, yeah. don't start thinking that what you deliver is valuable because the worst phrase, the, the scariest phrase to anybody, especially distributors out there, is good enough. Ooh. So here's the thing. Let, imagine that you are somebody who, you know, you go into a, a distributor's uh, you know, location and you start talking about, oh, I'm looking for something. And you know what? They Google it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or they go on Amazon and search yes. for it on Amazon. And then they yeah. then they go, oh, wait, yeah, I think we might have Here that. Here I you got know. one of those, yeah. Like, what? And then the guy you peeks know? around the corner and looks and says, ooh, he just found it on Amazon for, you know, X cents less and well, or dollars less. So, yeah. yeah, but you see, so so what, yeah. what ends up happening is, is is that the person who's who's doing the buying, even if they don't go, into, don't go into the distributor, they probably go online and research it first. Yeah. And then they ask themselves the question, okay, um, well, all right, what's important about this? Do I need to get it from the distributor? Do I need it today? Do I need it tomorrow? You know, what's the price look like? And if yeah. the answer is, well, I can order on Amazon because it's good enough. Yeah. It's good yeah. enough. You know it, what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the whole beta. Do you remember the whole beta versus VHS? Oh, deal yeah, totally. Back, yeah. Back in, was, that, was that the 70s, 80s? Yeah, when 70s, was that? yeah, 70s, 80s. And, you know, they said the beta, and I know TV beta stations. Beta was superior. And, Beta was superior, right? And TV stations, right, still use beta? Sure, sure, Betamax, but, yeah. But at that point, VHS was good enough. And I don't know what, I don't remember, I was, you know, I don't remember what happened, but VHS won out, and I think it was maybe a little cheaper or whatever, but but, but it was good enough, right? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly right. And so, so to tell me that you have a superior, oh, well, we deliver and we're humans. You know what? Yeah. It's not, that's not you making this decision. That's the mm -hmm. that's the thing. You have to put yourself in the shoes of the customer. Yeah. You have to and you have to ask yourself really really hard questions. And one of the hardest questions to ask is if they are able to order it on Amazon, if they are able to order it on Granger and get it for a price they think is fair, get it shipped to them. And you know what? And Amazon and Granger these guys they have good return policies. Yeah. Uh, you know, all that. if that's if if the customer 
is thinking, well, this is good enough, then it doesn't matter how awesome you think you are. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And that's why that's and that's why I keep telling distributors, especially distributors, look, everything you are delivering right now is pretty much a commodity. You have, you must, if you want to survive in the long term, you have to create a different business model, you know, from from what you're doing. And you have to be adding this fourth component, you know, that I call the attachment. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't do that, you run into the danger of being, you know, what they call disintermediated. And yeah. uh, uh, and nobody wants that to happen. The last thing you want to be, uh, and this was a lesson I learned when the eight track got beat by the the audio cassette. Cassettes, yeah. yeah. Last <laughs> and thing, I remember those too, by the way. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a little bit more recent, you know. But <laughs> but the last thing you want to be is very very good at something nobody wants to pay for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think where distributors have an advantage, and I think this is what they need to develop, is um, their consulting skills and their expertise. And I think they do this already, um, but especially moving into the Internet of Things and maybe solar technology or, you know, whatever the LED, whatever the new thing is, smart devices. I think this is where they can have an advantage um, if they can become consultants on some of these newer technologies and literally walk into a business or energy saving devices and systems, whatever. I think if they can become consultants rather than just sellers of products, um, I think that's where they can, they can beat out the Amazons and the online sellers and create that attachment of, you know, you're the experts, you're the guys who will come in and help me solve my problems. I think that's where they're, that's one of the ways anyway. Well, let me, yeah, let me, let me rephrase that for you. Uh, Because semantics is really important. And, and mm-hmm. you know, to me, this the idea of saying, well, we don't have salespeople anymore. They're, they're consultants. Yeah. Uh, that's that's just putting another word to it, to me. Okay. Uh, and, and actually, in many, many industries, that's, you know, that's what everybody says, right? Yeah. Um, so what would you call it? I, I would, but I, I would, I would call them educators. Oh, now, okay. now, what I mean by that is that it's not the salespeople who are the educators, although they can be. Sure. All right? It's the company. Uh, the yeah. comp- because, because now think about this. What if you have a really great salesperson, really awesome salesperson? Well, who does the customer have the relationship with? The, the salesperson the, or the company or the distributor? Company? Well, the salesperson. And if the salesperson leaves? They take the customer with them. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So... So when I'm talking about attachment, is I'm talking about attachment with the company. To the company, yeah. To the company. Because you well, don't ever want them to be able to take somebody away from you very easily. So if well, I'm a company... Salespeople hoard those contacts, too. They keep them. You know, they keep them close to the vest. Yeah, but if you if you are now going to offer something that the company delivers... Yeah, like uh, content marketing, like uh, articles and uh, extra white that, papers. Beyond and... that, I mean, go beyond. Go, I mean, go way beyond that. I've got a I've got a client who's in the MSP world, managed service provider, right? Okay. They, they you know, they work with companies to manage their, inter, their their technology and their websites and things like that. There are a million managed service providers out there. So what they have done is they have created literally a a part of their company is like a university. Hmm. And oh, they, okay. they have online seminars, uh, webinars. They have live events that nice. people come to, uh, and they provide you know materials. I mean, not just white papers and articles and, and stuff like that, but they actually they actually create these events that mm-hmm. only customers can go to. Nice. 
So there are is, some distributors doing that actually. I you, think you've got to make it, and and that's great. If they're doing that, that's great. You got to make it something to where only your customers get this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and if they if they stop being a customer, they stop getting this. Stuff. Stop getting it. And yeah, you could do certificates and degrees, and you know, call it whatever you want. You know, give if them your education is making them money. They don't need it. <laughs> well, no, I don't mean that. I mean, I, no. what I mean is that is that you're creating an attachment with them. Yeah. You're helping yeah. them become more successful. And and the danger is is and and you you have that connection with them. You have you have that that uh, those handcuffs, the golden handcuffs with them. Yes, to where... like the frequent flyer clubs, right? Is that what oh, you call, is that what you call the frequent no, flyer? No, you know, you know, <laughs> I don't. I call them frequent prisoner program. That's because, right. <laughs> because That's because you know I've got six million miles on American Airlines. I'm a prisoner. You are. I cannot leave them. <laughs> Me too. Because I cannot go to another airline and start over again. I, I that, yeah. that would just it, that'd be crazy, right? Yeah. And it's and that's yeah. almost what you want to have is a yeah. situation. But in this case, it's a positive. It's a positive sure. thing. I'm helping you make more money. Yeah. As a result like of participation, you're making more money. And so, so another distributor comes over and says, "Well, we we're also going to do." This. And in fact, in fact, another distributor might say, "Yeah, we're going to have education." Too, and we're getting even better. And my response to them would be, I don't know that. I don't know that you're going to be better. I know uh -huh. that I'm I am already in an educational program. I'm already making more money from this yeah. company. So why would why should you know, I would have to give up what I already am succeeding with to try you? See, yeah, that's I that like attach what I'm talking about. I like that idea. So I'm going to steal that idea. You know, I taught college for 10 years after yeah. working in marketing for 17. So I'm going to steal that idea and develop new profit center teaching courses for there distributors. So thank you so much for that. You got it. Absolutely. <laughs> My pleasure. I'll let you know how it goes. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, I have taken up more of your time than I intended to. So I appreciate that. And you shared a lot of great information today. And so thank you so much to you and to My Kay. And you've given our our listeners a lot to think about today. Um, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to share um, with distributors or anyone who's interested in in learning how to be uncopyable? Well, um, before I before I give them a little uh, ethical bribe, okay, uh, good. I do, I do want to make sure that I'm stressing something, uh, and it comes down to a very very simple thing. Yes, you have to be awesome at all the stuff that that you've been working with, you know, with, with the products that you deliver, they have to be great products. Quality, quality yeah. is now the ante to be in the game. Right. Uh, you have to have excellent customer service and you have to have a fair price. No question about it. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'll, although, and it's a completely different discussion. I mean, I also love being the, the, the primo price, right? I mm -hmm. love being, I lo love oh, being yes. the high price side. Uh, but, but the main thing is, is that yes, you have to do all that stuff, but then you have to find that fourth element you know, mm -hmm. that I call the attachment. And the, the main thing to think about is to look at what everybody else is doing and don't do it. Yeah, that's so hard for them. It's so hard it's for all of us, isn't really, it? really, really hard. It's like, it's like going to a, a trade show, uh, and, and I'll, I'll say in the technology world. Uh -huh. you, know, you go to a trade show in the technology world. If I were, if I were allergic to the color blue, I'd uh -huh. be dead in the first aisle. <laughs> <laughs> 
popular color. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, and and quite frankly, probably a lot of the people listening to this, they're they're looking at they're looking at their like, logo oh, right crap. now, and you go, oh wait, uh, I'm, blue. I'm blue. So am I. I am blue also. Yeah. Dang. And and that's because that is that heuristic we've got in our head that that's oh, what professional dang is. It. If right? I am if I'm at a trade, and this is, and I did this when I was uh, had a real job. Uh, and, <laughs> real and I've done this with clients, you know, since then is that, uh, you know, my color is orange, right? Yes. So I know I, I will, I will absolutely assassinate my target market with orange. <laughs> you know? I know your I mean, business cards will, are orange. Your book is orange. I love it. If I, yeah. And, and when I have a, an exhibit at a trade show, it's going to be, it's going to be solid, bright orange because when people are walking down that aisle, I will be a visual train wreck. <laughs> well, as a um, as a Bears Chicago Bears family you and go. University of Illinois family, we appreciate it here in Central Illinois. So thanks for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love it. Okay, well, the book is Uncopyable by Steve Miller. Um, it is orange, and it's available at uncopyablethebook.com on Amazon as a Kindle edition for the very reasonable price of $10, $9.95, I think, um, as a hardcover for $19.95. And, and I understand you said you had a very ethical offer for us. Was yeah, that I, I, an ethical, ethical bribe? Ethical bribe. Ethical bribe, okay. Because I, so I, really, want, I really want people to read the book. Uh, I, I, am, I am, one of the things that has been extremely gratifying for me since the book came out is that people actually like it. <laughs> hey, that's good. Well, you know what? When what you, do you know, you know, when you write, and you know this, you know, having been, uh, you're doing a lot of writing yourself. Yes. You, know, that you write something and you send it out and you just go, gosh, I hope this is good. I know. You know. I hope people will like this. And, but more importantly, for me, it's, I hope people find really good information that they can use. Yeah. That's the important thing to me. That's what I love to hear from people. It's not, it's not, oh, wow, you, you know, you're such a good speaker. No, I want them to say, you gave me some really great ideas. Yeah, did you get something out of it? Exactly. Did you get yeah. something out of it? And that has been the most gratifying thing about about yeah. my my book is that people have, you know, they've, we've got perfect five star reviews nice. uh, on Amazon, uh, and my wife is going to have a heart attack when somebody gives us a four star. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I should say my spoken hot wife. Uh, and Your so anyway, hot wife so here's what yeah. I want you to do: is go online, uh, uh, buy the book. Uh, and I would prefer you bought the hard copy, but that's okay. If if you if you prefer to buy the Kindle, that's fine too. And then just set just forward your receipt to me, and my email address is Steve Miller at theadventure.com. So theadventure t h e adventure.com. Steve Miller at theadventure.com. I will then. Put you on. Uh, I, I will put you in a program that I have that is called Mar "Put Your Marketing on Autopilot," where I talk about how you can develop your your marketing funnel to where it automatically creates leads for you. Nice. And uh, this product on my website sells for one hundred ninety seven dollars. But if but because you get because you get the book, you know I will give it to you. And you. Well, have, can I do uh, that too? Can I do that? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. No. Uh, you know, and like I say, it'll and you'll have permanent access to it, so it's not like there's a time thing or anything, anything like that. Good but, deal. I, but I really want people to have this book. It's very fast reading. You know, I think it is. I think my style would fit very well with highlights for children. So <laughs> you should make that your next goal. It right? is my. Isn't it's one of my. On your... It's one of my top goals. 
I think so. And work on the puzzle. Work on the highlights puzzle, too. Yeah, the crossword puzzle. All right. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And I really appreciate your time today. My guest today was consultant, speaker, author, Kelly's dad, and marketing gunslinger Steve Miller, founder of Adventure LLC. You can follow Steve on Twitter. His handle is at Steve A. Miller. And his website is uncopyablethebook.com. You've been listening to the award-winning podcast, Market Boldly, with marketing consultant, writer, and host, Katrina Olson. If you need help with marketing planning and strategy, writing, content development, or qualitative research, or if your organization needs a trainer or speaker for a meeting or conference, visit KatrinaOlson.com for more information. Find this and future episodes of Market Boldly on Katrina's website at KatrinaOlson.com or subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Market Boldly.